Hey, everyone. Today's guest is journalist, television personality, and author Lisa Ling. You know Lisa from her amazing series, This Is Life on CNN, as Oprah Winfrey's special correspondent, and you're about to find out that I'm a big fan of everything she does. My questions for Lisa have added up over the years, and she answers as many as she can before we reach out to our listeners. First, we talk with Lily, who, after a series of bad first dates, wonders what she can do differently. Our next call is with Sandra, whose ex-husband's continued presence in her life is preventing her from moving on. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, please look for the link at unqualified.com. We would love to hear from you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Lisa, this is a huge honor for me. I am such a big fan, and I so admire how you give voice to people who aren't heard and tell these stories of human resilience. So thank you so much for doing this today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of yours. And when my publicist inquired about it, I'm like, absolutely. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Truly. So I was thinking about the idea of courage and how my heart races for you every time I watch This Is Life. Everything from you riding with the Mongols to the episode in North Korea, even when you went to that small town in Utah and interviewed Warren Jeff's children. Yeah. Will you tell us about where you got your sense of courage and the times you thought you might die? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll answer the second part first, because there definitely have been moments where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this, like being in the middle of gunfire in Colombia when the rebels were firing on the president's helicopter and the president's helicopter was firing back into the jungle area that we were near. But I wouldn't call myself courageous necessarily. I've always just been just hugely curious. Like I've always been the kind of person who... You know, if something's happening, like I need to go and see what's going on and explore it. And, you know, I've definitely reported from a lot of places that are considered contentious or unpredictable. But I sort of feel like, you know, I go into these places and then I can leave and go home. But the people who live in these environments or under these circumstances have to do it every day. And look, the reality is that, you know, on any given day, anyone could be as much at risk by walking across the street in New York or some random place. You know, you just never know when your time is going to come, Uh, you know, not to sound morose, but very early on in my career, I sort of came to the realization that I wanted to try to remember most of the days that I'm alive. I mean, I barely remember what I did yesterday, But when you have these kinds of intense experiences, it's hard to forget them. I wanted to ask you how you put some things to bed. And if late at night there is a particular story or person that you find yourself thinking about maybe a little bit more than you wish you would. Yeah, I think about a lot of the people that I've interacted with for work, you know, for my shows, because they share things with me that are so heartfelt and so deeply personal. Sometimes they share things that They haven't even shared with their closest friends or family members. And in some ways, as strange as it sounds, I established these relationships with so many of these people that are in some ways even stronger or, I mean, they're different, but they are 
more intimate than I have even with some of my very close friends because what they've shared with me and honestly what I've shared with them because very often when you're in those situations, it's a reciprocal kind of experience, you know? And and I'm not the kind of reporter that would just collect your story and say goodbye and never want to see you again or become inaccessible to you. That's just not the way I work. Do you find it difficult to stay in touch? Because we do it to a much smaller degree here on the podcast when we talk to our listeners. So I understand that connection. Do you think that establishing that kind of intimacy, is that sort of intuitive for you? I do think it's intuitive. I really do. I mean, I think that my life experience growing up feeling pretty different from the people in my community in terms of my ethnicity coming from a divorced family at a time when not a lot of kids had divorced parents. You know, my mom wasn't around when I was a kid, even though she and I could not be closer now. But there were a lot of reasons why I didn't like my life because it was so different from my friends. And I think kind of experiencing that adversity has made me just more empathetic to things that other people might be going through. I also think traveling at a young age You know, I started traveling the world, even though I didn't grow up with a lot of money, I started working as a reporter when I was like 18 years old. And so I was working for this show that sent me all over the world. And I think the things that I saw with my eyes were so shocking, in some ways traumatizing, but also just incredible that it made me want to communicate stories to a wider audience, but it also made me appreciate the life that I have, despite the hardships that I endured. So I think, you know, I think my life experience has just led me to this place. I was really particularly moved by your episode on the murder of Vincent Chin and how you do touch on your own childhood experiences. I think a lot of us are seeking relief from the idea of otherness. Will you talk a little bit about that particular episode and your relationship with it? Yeah. So I think most people by now know that the last year and a half since COVID became rooted in America and around the world, attacks on Asian people have increased exponentially. I mean, in this country alone, attacks have increased like 1300%. So many of us have seen videos of people being brazenly and horrifically attacked, particularly elderly people who are just minding their own business when they, out of nowhere, are just attacked, and I believe targeted because of their race, because, you know, this last year and a half has been really hard. And I think when catastrophe happens or something really devastating happens, people just want to blame someone. And so as a result, I think Asians have been scapegoated for this virus that we had nothing to do with. Um, But people need that, you know, that outlet to express their frustrations. And Asians have been on the receiving end of that. And so we did this episode, we dedicated our whole eighth season to isolating moments in American history that didn't make it into history books, but still continue to impact us today. And for one of our episodes, we explored the case of a man named Vincent Chin, who in the 1980s was at a bar celebrating his bachelor party, Chinese American guy, when two out of work auto workers got into an altercation with him. And this was a time in the 1980s when Detroit was experiencing a pretty severe economic downturn because of rising oil and gas prices. And Japanese automobile manufacturers were being blamed because they were producing these fuel-efficient cars. 
And so many auto workers in Detroit were being laid off at that time, thousands. And so Vincent Chin was in a bar and gets into an altercation with these two guys. They essentially chase him down after they leave the bar and beat him to death with a baseball bat. And neither of the men served a single day in jail or prison. They had to pay like a $3,000 fine and, you know, spend some months on probation. But that was really it. And when you think about how anyone who looked Asian was being scapegoated in the 1980s because people were blaming Japan for people losing their jobs here in America and what's happening now with COVID and how Asian Americans are again being scapegoated because this virus, you know, began in China and therefore all Asians become a target as a result. It's really similar. The parallels are eerie to think about, but when you think about it in the context of American history and how Asian Americans have been treated since they first arrived in this country, it has been this kind of unbreakable pattern. It's been continuous for over a century. And so this season of our show, This Is Life, we're trying to find those moments because I think it's so important that we recognize these patterns, not just as it relates to Asian Americans, but just throughout history. I mean, you look at what happened, you know, with George Floyd in 2020, you know, the world saw what happened to him, but it forced us to look back at the roots of policing and the roots of racism and segregation. And I think that, you know, this is a really a real reckoning that's happened in this country. And it's hard and it's scary and it's destabilizing. But I'm hoping that by recognizing where we've been in the past, we can hopefully move forward in a better direction or a more positive direction and actually not only heal, but thrive at some point because of this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Framing things in this historical context with populist presidents encouraging racism almost to distract from their own shortcomings, is there any comfort in providing the context or do you find yourself increasingly frustrated at the lack of change? I wouldn't say there's comfort in it. I would say it's empowering to know the context and to be aware of the context so that we can figure out where we are. You know, understanding the context allows you to understand where we are and how to move forward in a better way to me. It kind of lights a fire under you to want to do better, to want to change systems that have been rooted, you know, in things like racism and discrimination. For me, I guess the framework of having some slight knowledge of American history it makes the current situation feel slightly less insane. Yeah, well, because you realize that there's precedent for a lot of these things and things don't happen in a vacuum, right? And so as destabilized as we feel right now because of COVID and, and this kind of racial reckoning that we're in right now, the context kind of allows us to understand that it didn't just start right now. Mm-hmm. That these things have kind of been happening along the way. But now that we recognize them and we have that context, 
we have more tools to be able to fix things Mm -hmm. and make it better. And also just like raise consciousness. And I think that's all positive. I think it's going to continue to get ugly for a little while, sadly. But I do think that we can get to a better place. I really do. I've always been a glass half full person, but I really do think that like once we are forced to face all this stuff, face all that shit that was done (laughs) and confront it, then I think we can collectively make a choice to heal and move forward rather than want to move back to the way things were. You know, this is why this debate over like critical race theory or what kind of history to teach in schools is such bullshit. You know, because it's like we need to understand where we've been in order to understand where we're going. And by trying to erase that because you think it's going to make people feel bad, you know, the intention is not to make white kids feel bad about past racism. That's not the intention. The intention is to make all kids feel like we're never going to allow this to happen again. And the excuse also feels so thin. Definitely. I mean, I have a funny story. My third grader was in school uh, a couple of months ago and a boy called her Ching Chong. Oh, this is not a funny story, Lisa. (laughs) Well, it is because her best friend, without missing a beat, ran to the teacher and said, I will not be a bystander. (laughs) And told the teacher about what happened. And then they all had a conversation about it. The kid not only apologized, the parents apologized. And my daughter and we were just like, no, it's okay. Like, thank you for acknowledging it and allowing us to have this conversation. And again, like we arrived at a better place. And that's what teaching this stuff does, right? It allows us to become more tolerant and more empathetic. And when you're kids, this is the time to develop empathy. You know, empathy is something that can be developed. And by being educated and aware of injustices and encouraged to stand up for people, like that was an example of what it all could be. That is the part that gives me a little hope. Yeah, me too. Oh, I wanted to hit on this before we talk a little bit about relationships. I was really struck by your Inside North Korea documentary, and that was for National Geographic, I believe. Yes. You traveled to North Korea with an ophthalmologist, and there is a moment where like the thousand patients that were operated on were getting their bandages off. And they seem to, one after the other, go immediately to these portraits of... The dear leader. And they're sobbing. They're... From what I saw, nobody was thanking the doctor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) With, like, all of the volunteer, like, the equipment that had been donated by other countries, whatever. But you said something. You realized that there may not be a difference between true belief and true fear. I thought that was really profound. But will you tell me about that? It must have been kind of dizzying. Well, yeah. So I think it was 2006 when a renowned ophthalmologist friend of mine from Nepal called me and told me that he was going to be allowed access into North Korea to perform cataract operations on people there. It was like a medical mission. And knowing that North Korea was the one place on earth that I've always wanted to see from my own eyes because it's the most isolated place on earth, he asked me if I wanted to join him and be part of the medical team. And I would have to say that I was part of the team and and that I was not a journalist. And of course I said yes. And I thought that our perspective would be very skewed and that we would only be able to see the insides of like surgical facilities. But the reality was it was so illuminating and eye-opening, no pun intended, to see how robotic things are in North Korea because their media is so limited. 
because things are so closed off. I mean, the people of North Korea, everything they see on TV, everything that they listen to on the radio, every book that they read is about North Korea's struggle against the rest of the world because it's so heavily censored. And so these physicians, they would go in and they would repair people's vision, some of whom hadn't had vision because of cataracts for more than a decade. And cataracts are particularly, you know, when you are in a third world, because of poor conditions, the incidences of cataracts are much, much higher. Also, poor nutrition contributes to it as well. So the surgeons would perform these operations and then put everyone in a room with their bandages on. And the moment they remove the bandages, and for some reason they remove them, you know, like simultaneously on all the people, they all, as you were saying, stood up and like rushed the pictures of the dear leader and profusely thanked him as though he had magically fixed their vision. And it was difficult to tell whether they truly believed that or because everyone else was doing it, they felt compelled to do it as well. Because in a communist system like that, if you're not showing that kind of reverence and adoration of the leader, your neighbor could snitch on you and there could be consequences for that. So it was difficult to tell who really fervently believed those things. My gut is that a lot of people did, but when you live in that kind of a system, it's hard to be able to think freely or certainly speak freely, but think freely because everything is so managed for you. And you know, when you think about I mean, I can't draw direct comparisons to anything happening in America, to what happens every day in North Korea. But, you know, with social media, we follow the people who espouse our beliefs, right? And so we even exist in these bubbles. And so when someone else expresses something else on another network or whatever, it's like blasphemy. Right. And in some ways, we are cutting ourselves off from interacting with people who think differently than we do. And during the last four years of the previous president, when he disavows mainstream media and calls mainstream media fake, it forces people to seek out information from other sources, even if those sources aren't legitimate sources, you know? And so there's this flood of people who are starting to seek out information on YouTube. And if they put anything in in YouTube that's like remotely conspiratorial, their feed immediately populates with like information. And so all the information they're getting, you know, confirms the same misinformation if it's misinformation. And so in some ways, there are parallels to how and why people think the way they do in North Korea and how people think the way they do here, because they're only getting their information from a few sources, whether they are proven to be legitimate sources or not. They say, you give us hope and then you take it right away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I think it should be like a lesson to all of us that we need to stop and take the time to make sure that the sources that we're consuming are legitimate sources, first of all. You know, just because one man disavows media doesn't mean that it's fake. You may not agree with some of the opinions espoused, but to call it fake is just like, How is that any different from what Kim Jong-un does in North Korea by disavowing other ways of thinking? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) There are a lot of similarities. Lisa, on to relationships, if you don't mind. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) How old were you when you first felt like you could tell yourself, oh, I'm in love? I mean, I I was boy crazy when I was in kindergarten. Me too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I was that girl. I got biggest flirt when I was in middle school. 
but when was I really in love? Oh, you know, I would say like when I knew I was really, really in love was when I was 20 years old and I met the young man who I would be in a relationship with for the next six years. And he's still one of the most important people in my life right now. I adore him. In fact, we got back together later on because I think you romanticize your first love. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and think that it was like the perfect relationship ever. And he's still a pretty perfect guy, but it just, you know, I think we kind of grew out of the relationship because we were so young. At like 26, you had already accomplished so much. I'm sure you were traveling all over the place all the time. Yeah, I'd had so few experiences that I, I wanted to have more experiences, you know, and so we were just so young at the time, but I consider that really my first marriage. <laughs> we both considered our first marriage. What about you? What was your first love? I was 17 and it was like my high school boyfriend, like the first cute guy that liked me. I was head over heels just because he was handsome, you know, truly. I look back now and I'm like, what exactly drew me to him? I have no idea. You think you were in love with him or you think you were just infatuated? It was very heady. Mm. I do think I was, but I think it was that specific love that happens during that age in your life. Yeah. I mean, I have that guy too. In high school, there was one boy that, oh my God, I would have done anything for him. And we were friends. I mean, I still, to this day, when I think about him, like I get like all the feels and so funny. My husband's like, all right, you can have a pass. I can guarantee you <laughs> it'll be kind of lame. <laughs> okay, good. I need to fixate on that. Lisa, have you ever experienced extreme heartbreak? And how did you get over it? Yes, I had a very dysfunctional relationship not long after that first love relationship. He was a guy who was like, he was a jerk. He was a narcissist, but he was like, the sex was incredible and it was just super intense and he had so many issues that I thought I could fix. Did you break up with him? You know, he broke up with me. I knew it was wrong. I knew the relationship was wrong. But he ultimately did the breaking up. And that was also like just such a bruise to my ego, even though I knew he was such a dick. Totally. But it was definitely like one of the worst feelings I ever had. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I can never allow myself to feel this way again. You know, what's really annoying is I had a, a therapist at that time because I was trying to, like, figure out all this family stuff that I'd never resolved. And I called my therapist. I was so upset. And he goes, do you want me to prescribe something to take the edge off? And I was like, no, I just want to talk. Are you kidding me? But, like, that's such a typical like response these days. And it's so messed up, yeah. you know, but yeah, it was an ugly, tragic feeling. And I just like, I truly said to myself, like, I never want to allow myself to be that like emotionally reliant on someone. And were you able to take your own advice in terms of picking people that, that were more generous? Yes, I definitely have. I mean, that's not to say I didn't have some really hard incidents after that, but in my own mind, I mean, I've always been a very fiercely independent person. You know, I've always like made my own money. And even my husband and I now, like we have our own separate accounts. We share things, but we don't rely on each other. We both be fine financially if we weren't together. And that proved to me that that breakup, even though I wasn't financially reliant on him, it just confirmed how important it is to be able to survive on my own. How did you and your husband meet? That boyfriend that I, that jerk boyfriend's brother actually introduced us because <laughs> I stayed really good friends with his brother. 
And he called me and this was when I was working in Washington, D.C. And he said, oh, you got to meet my friend, Paul. He's tall and good looking and really nice. And I said, oh, no, I, you know, I'm not really interested. And he goes, well, you're going to marry him. So you, you should at least meet him. So I met him and I definitely became smitten pretty quickly. And six months later, we started dating. I love that. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was never anyone who cared to get married because I come from a divorce. It wasn't something that was important to me. So when my friend said that, I'm like, all right, let me see who you think mm -hmm. that I am going to marry. And 13 years later. <laughs> and you have two daughters. We have two kids. Yeah. Lisa, can you think of important advice that you've been given throughout the years in terms of relationships or work? I've had so many close girlfriends who just literally crack under the pressure of relationships and they're either waiting for their boyfriends to propose to them or they lose their identity. And what I would say to women is don't compromise yourself. Don't give that up. You've worked too hard to become the woman that you are. You know, you should be in a relationship with someone who compliments you, you know, a friendship and a partnership. Once you start to lose your identity, I don't know, for me, you know, when that has ever happened, I never liked the feeling and it was never something that I think would inevitably work in the long run. Because if you've compromised everything that you've worked so hard to achieve professionally and personally, then what, what's left? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you have? So that's what I would say. I love that. And we have a listener who might appreciate that kind of advice. Should we call Lily? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Lily. Hi, Anna. Thank you for your letter. Will you tell our listeners what's going on? Yes. Okay. So I had just gotten back, I don't know, maybe last week on just yet another kind of unremarkable, frustrating date. And I think I just really wanted somebody to vent to a little bit. And you, for some reason, popped into my mind. <laughs> I had heard your episode with Cameron Diaz recently, and I was like, those women are giving some real good advice over there. <laughs> Thank you. So tell us what happened. Well, let me kind of give you the quick synopsis. So I'm 45. My son is 17. He's about to graduate from high school this year. And 
it's basically been kind of the two of us since he was in kindergarten, really, when his dad and I split up. I've been really devoted to him. I'm an educator, so that in itself takes, you know, a lot of your time and energy. And so I do believe that there were many years where I probably was not in a real good place to be meeting somebody incredible. And so I'm pretty open to those years when my son was little, just being real busy and not in that space. I feel like now I am in this place where I'm ready for a true, deep, committed, interesting relationship. And I find myself actually pre-COVID going on some, I just feel like kind of disappointing, just kind of boring, not a lot of substance going on kind of dates. And I kind of try to learn from each one. But ladies, post-COVID, I feel like men, at least the ones that I have been meeting, I don't want to do a broad brush. Maybe they're going inner in a way they haven't previously. And I don't know if it's because I'm a good listener that all of a sudden in one date, I'm getting all of this kind of baggage of their lives put on me. And so not only now am I having to prepare myself to go on a date and all that entails, but now I'm kind of also having to prepare myself for tiptoeing through their darkness is kind of what it feels like. And it, that's a lot for just one date. So I'm getting to the point now. I mean, I could go into the last five dates I had all had an element of just real intensity from men. And I, I really am happy to hear that because I think that this is a time where men are learning to process um, some of their emotions and their feelings. So it's exciting. But Anna, Lisa, it's a lot. I have this theory, though, and I haven't been able to fully articulate the larger idea behind this. But I do think the quarantine journey, there was a, an intense amount of reflection involved in it and a bit of a reprioritization. So I do think that that is important. Lily, I think that you brought that up early on, and I think that's really perceptive. Lisa, have you noticed this idea? You know, what I would say is, in some ways, I imagine these are the kinds of exchanges that women have been waiting to have with men, because so often men are so closed off and not communicative about their right. feelings and emotions. So I know it probably seems really, really heavy and a lot to deal with, but I also think if they trust you enough that they are willing to share this, it's actually a good thing if you can handle it. I have a couple of friends who actually got into pretty serious relationships during the pandemic. And it was really interesting because they said they got to know these guys for a couple of months online. They would talk regularly with these guys on FaceTime or Zoom, and they really, really got to know them first and they knew they were attracted to them because they could see them before they had this in-person exchange, which is also so fucking awkward all mm -hmm. the time. Um, but it took some of that like pressure off, the, like the physical pressure. And you really got a sense of like who the person was before you actually even physically met. And if you knew you were attracted to each other, like the anticipation of it was actually exciting. It wasn't about like, what are they going to look like? You know what they're going to look like but it was much more positive. So I don't know if you would consider that, like really getting to know someone virtually for a little while before you meet. I think that that sounds like a really smart way to start a relationship. Yeah. Lily, I do also think the other side is this sudden pressure that we're putting on ourselves to get the future figured out. There's a lot of listeners that feel like, I've got to make a decision right now on this. What do I do? 
So just be aware of that element in yourself. You've got your son graduating, so he may or may not be leaving the house. You are feeling this like, all right, I'm going to work on this element now, which I think is fine. But like on a scale of one to 10, what's your desire for a relationship? That's a great question. I say I have a desire probably on like an eight or or a nine for a really true relationship. But I'm also somebody who's super happy alone which I think is a good thing. But sometimes it worries me that I'm so happy alone that that could be a trouble too, because I know some of my female friends are always out there kind of looking because they are not happy being alone where I truly am. I do love Lisa, what you said about the virtual, maybe doing more of just not texting. Cause I think texting can be a really dark place to go. Cause you feel like this connection with somebody and then you maybe meet them or you see them like uh, on a screen and you're like, wow, that's not quite the connection I was thinking. (laughs) And I also think that might be good because a lot of the men I've gone out with, they might be great options in a couple of years, but just not right now. Cause I'm, I'm also finding in my forties, I'm much better at hearing red flags and really listening to them. Can you give us an example? Yeah. Like the guy I went out with the other day. I mean, we were walking within five minutes, his sentence, and this was not indicated in his profile by any means was I recently got out of a very short, very steamy, hot relationship. And me and my ex are still very attracted to each other. So that makes it difficult. I mean, that's five minutes in. So yeah. So I don't know, you guys, I just, a pep talk, just give me a pep talk. And I want to let you know too, that there are a lot of women that I know my age who are just incredible and are having the same challenges that I am. So I know it's not just me. It's a really large population of women. I would try the virtual thing, honestly, because again, like had you had that interaction with the guy virtually, you would have saved yourself so much time. (laughs) The guy before that, Lisa and Anna, we were having what I thought was a really nice second date. And he proceeded to tell me that my name, Lily, reminded him of the flowers he had bought for his ex-girlfriend that her cat ate and then threw up everywhere and almost died. (gasps) That was date number two. And he had some really interesting characteristics. So I'm telling you, there's some really interesting parts of these men mixed in with some red flags. So I'm going to take your advice, Lisa, and I'm going to go FaceTime or something first. Yeah. Like if there's someone that you're kind of vibing with, like take your time with it and just like spend some time on FaceTime talking and getting to know each other. And if that attraction is real, you'll feel it. And if not, I don't waste so much time. Totally. Oh God, that seems torturous now to like. It's torturous. Yeah. Based on a profile picture. Oh God. Anna, how did you keep your hope alive after, you know, having a couple of marriages that didn't work out and you kept that hope alive and now you're in a happy marriage? I feel really fortunate, but Lily, I have zero experience actually dating. I mean, I (laughs) truly. It must be hard dating famous, hard dating, not famous. I wish I knew. (laughs) No, I don't. I'm really happy. But I do think that the challenge of dating in the social media world is truly the exhaustion, I think. Oh, God. It is exhausting when you have that many options. It's like so much more filtration. You know, I love the idea of meeting somebody at the grocery store. 
I love like sort of that kind of kismet stuff too. Giving men compliments, you know, I think that's always worth a shot. You seem really gregarious and awesome and friendly. So I bet you probably already do that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm kind of an introvert, but I can play extrovert really well. So maybe give a few like, what are some good tips for when you are out in the world to like show a man you might be interested? Are you good at that? I was pretty good. Lisa, you were voted most flirtatious. Biggest flirt. Were you? So you're the, you're our lady. How do we do it? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think because I was raised by my dad, I've never been an inhibited person. So any guy that I've ever wanted to go on a date with, I just asked them. Uh, and I think, you know, most of the time they said yes, because they were just like, whoa, what just happened? Did this girl, this woman really just ask me? And I think that takes some pressure off of them, too. And so I sort of feel like, I don't know, I've just never been inhibited about asking someone to do anything, particularly guys, you know, like, you want to have a coffee? It's or? amazing, Lisa, your ability to get particularly <laughs> men to open up to you. Lily, I don't know <laughs> if you happen to see This Is Life with Lisa when she does rides with the Mongols. Oh, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. It's so good. And they're all in love with her. She's amazing. No. They are an educator. You did an episode on Our America like seven years ago about ADHD that I still reference today. You are an incredible woman. Thank you so much. It means so much to me and you are too. And, you know, don't ever sell yourself short, but also, you know, look, the worst thing someone can say if you approach them is no. And you know what? I think that's like, that's the biggest hang up for most people is like that fear of rejection. And once you can kind of get over that, it's like, okay, if you're not interested, it's your loss. (laughs) Totally. And I would view your contentment with being alone as a huge strength. Agree. You can take your time. You can explore exactly what you want. You have time, you know? Which is kind of wonderful. That reminds me, I just read recently the writer Anne Lamott. Yeah. She met her true love at 65. And when I read that article, I was looking for, oh, she met her true love part of it. But what I really got was there was nothing sad about finding your true love at 65. What would have been sad would have been missing out on all those years feeling like you were missing something when inevitably it was going to happen. I just thought it was so beautiful. You know, it's funny because I I actually feel like I have so many true loves, Mm -hmm. you know, like I truly love my close girlfriends. Like, you know, I was telling Anna earlier, my first love ever is one of the closest people to me. Like, and I keep my circle very small. All these people are my true loves. And also, I, I don't know that there's just one person for me, you know, like my mom has such a great attitude. She has like, there are certain guys that she'll go and have dinners with because they're foodies like her. She'll go to the movies with, you know, some other male friends of hers because they they like to watch movies. But then she's just like, I don't want to have to bring them home. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want them like in my personal space. I, I understand that, mom. It's kind of fun to just have, you know, like different relationships that some might be more physical, some might not be. But, you know, to not feel like there's only one person for you. Lily, how much like societal pressure do you get? to like be in a relationship? I would say probably not that much. Oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, I think when I was younger, when I was in my 20s and I was like eager to get married and have kids and do all of that, but I've let go of so much of that. My biggest fear on it is that I do get so happy alone that what if I just forget to include that romantic part into my life? 
because I could go there very easily too, which is also, I don't think that healthy. So just how do you keep open in the face of a little bit of frustration? Because it is a numbers game. The older you get. It sounds like you're in the best position though. You're like, you don't feel like you need it, but you're open to it, you know? And frankly, that's when it happens for most people when they're not looking for it because it's kind of a repellent, those people who are so- Like thirsty. Like, needing, yes, a re- relationship. Like I know people, men and women included, like if someone's coming at them and wanting to like get hitched right away or, I mean, it's just, it's so, ugh. Yeah. Like don't look for it, just enjoy yourself. And if the right thing comes along, then fantastic. And Lily, Maybe this is a perfect time, if you have the time, to discover a new love in terms of like a hobby. I don't know. I was going to say like a knitting group, but I don't know how many (laughs) men you're going to meet in your knitting group. I'm doing a ceramics class and there's like one man to every 20 women. Oh God, of course there is. Oh my God. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I don't know, like a bicycling group. Well, I'm a big, I'm a big hiker outdoors person. So maybe I'll take that advice of like jumping into what you love, which is that, but then with Lisa's advice. So if I'm out there and I see a fella, I'm just going to be brave and approach him in real life. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it can be as easy as like, you know, I really like your shoes. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And again, like if he doesn't want to or if he is in a relationship, you can't let that like break you down. You know, like just getting comfortable with this idea that, okay, he really missed out then. Yeah. (laughs) Lisa also did this amazing episode about, it was like a pickup (laughs) artist camp. Yes. Yes. The seduction game. And Lisa was crying at the end of it. She was like, I thought I was going to meet a bunch of a-holes. And yeah, it was this kind of workshop for guys to like kind of get their game. And so much of it is what I'm talking about. Like, I think we get in our heads this fear of rejection and that prohibits us from being able to ask someone out because we're so terrified. But once you get beyond that, it frees you up. Like, okay, he might not think I'm attractive, you know, that's your problem, right? Like, it's not going to make me feel like, what can I do? You know, like, there's nothing I can change about myself. I'll ask someone else. And that was the biggest takeaway for me is once you can get past like the rejection piece of it, then it's easy. And maybe give yourself like a challenge to give a compliment a day, but it doesn't have to be a cute guy or anything. I love talking to strangers. That's no problem. And I feel like people really appreciate that right now because we've been so disconnected that it's kind of nice when someone is friendly and just exhibits kindness. Like, I think everybody's just so high strung right now that it's actually like, I actually stop and notice when someone is being kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just interested too and doing a little bit more in real life, just kind of experiencing real life a little bit more and not being so virtual. Lily, thank you so much. And it has been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, Lily. You guys really, this just made my day. Good luck. Thank you so much, Lily. You're going to crush it out there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. She was so cute, Lily. I know. Okay, so did the pandemic have any effect on your relationships? Yes, definitely. I mean, I've always kept a small circle, but even more now. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, I definitely, definitely has. I mean, I can't imagine being in the dating scene right now. I can't either. Like, we were still doing the podcast all during the pandemic, and people were in a deep place of reflection. Yeah. And now it feels like there's a lot of pressure to get things checked off and big decisions made. Yeah. And it feels like it's not the time to just have a little patience. People are, I think, feeling pretty rattled. Yeah. I do think, though, that people are wanting to kind of like talk more, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I think people's priorities have shifted. What was important a year and a half ago is maybe less important. I don't know. Yes. I hope. I'd like to think. For better or for worse. Yeah, definitely. Work? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I want to knit and puzzle. I know. That's a lot of people. I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give your younger self? I think the advice I would give my younger self is just don't worry so much about what other people think of you. I mean, especially when you're in high school, most of the people that you are so concerned about in high school, you're never going to talk to again. It's like that can't be reiterated enough. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I talked to no one from high school. So yeah, I just think kids right now, and I can't imagine that pressure of social media, also become like more literate about social media and how fake it is and recognize the kind of impact that it has on your well-being. I think it would be hard right now in this period of social media. I do too. If I'm on Instagram and I see that some of my friends went out, I have that moment where I'm like, oh my God, they didn't call me. But I get over it quickly and I'm like, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone anyway. But if I were a girl, you know, and saw that a bunch of my friends got together and didn't call me, that would be devastating because you don't post just ordinary pictures. You post pictures of the best time of your life. My mom gave me a gift, which I didn't recognize at the time. She didn't let me have or even look at like any women's magazines or teen magazines. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV. It made me feel incredibly nerdy. I didn't know, you know, any pop cultural references. But to me, that gift has carried through my life, I think. I would be at my friend's house and like pouring over like anything I like could get my hands on, having the recognition of, oh, this makes me kind of feel bad. So I'm all right now at kind of recognizing that trigger a little bit. Like, well, if this makes me feel bad, I don't know if how much I want to be absorbing it. Yeah. Well, that's pretty insightful that you recognize that about yourself. You know, I have an eight-year-old who loves to watch Blackpink. Do you know who Blackpink is? They're like a huge K-pop band. 
and they're like completely scantily clad and you know they're singing songs about ice cream and they're just like your oh, finger gosh. in the mouth right and, right right oh god yeah oh my god yeah and their songs are super catchy and i hadn't seen the videos and we were in our sprinter van <laughs> And my kids were just kind of like watching stuff on the TV and they pulled it up and I turned around and I was just like, oh my God, eight years old, exposed to this, like this is the band that she loves. And I can understand why so many girls are just feeling, you know, they're in crisis right now because of this. It's really, it's, it's concerning. Do you have conversations about it yet? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to, but you know, I noticed that she likes to wear her tops a little shorter. She's eight. I know. You know? So yeah, yeah. I, I try hard to talk about these images and they're, how so many of them are altered. It's not real. And that you don't need to look this way in order for people to validate you. But it's, it's hard. Look, this is the biggest band, one of the biggest bands on earth right now. I know those conversations are in my future. Okay. Are you ready to talk with Sandra? Yeah. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Thank you for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so I've been with my husband for about 22 years. Um, we met in high school, kind of had kids early, and we were great for the longest time. And then about three years ago, I started noticing him just kind of slipping away. And, you know, you go through that whole, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to make it stop or help or whatever? And then I found out, two Octobers ago that he had been messaging one of my old good girlfriends and they were in love. And so basically last November he moved out, but like he tries to help me not struggle and we're trying to co-parent and stuff. And so like he's at my house every single day. He like makes dinner and does the yard work and all that stuff. And it's just, it's so hard for me to like get over him, you know? And so I just don't know if I should or still hold out hope or what I should do. And I think in the heart of hearts, I know that I need to let him go and just move on. But I just wanted an outsider's perspective on that. Sandra, is he together with? She does not live in the same state, but I'm fairly certain that they actually see each other when they get a chance. I'm really sorry, especially with a friend. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she's not my friend anymore. Yeah, I know. I feel you on that. I've had this experience. How old are your kids? Do you mind me asking? My daughter is 20 and my son is 12. Okay. I mean, honestly, I think you still love your husband, right? I mean, yeah. that's the issue. I mean, it probably doesn't help that he's in your home yeah. all the time and he made the decision to leave. And I wonder if you have a conversation with your kids about how it's really emotionally hard for you. And would it be okay if you saw your father outside this home? Mm -hmm. Because I think you need to take the time to start healing yourself. Yeah. And if for some reason... He comes back sometime like he made this decision, right, Yeah. to leave. And so far, it seems like he's sticking to his guns and you need to heal yourself. And seeing him in your space, acting as though things are all fine, mm -hmm. prevents you from being able to do that. And as hard as it is, and it will be hard to not see him because secretly and deep down, you still probably like to have him in your home. Yeah. It will be really hard to heal if you see him every day, you know? Yeah. Have you guys been intimate since? We did once after he moved out, but not since then. Okay. Well, the good news in that is that at least he's 
for lack of better phrasing, not having his cake and eating it too. (laughs) But it is also really hard to be grappling with heartbreak and rejection and how those lines get pretty blurry. Mm -hmm. So you may also be romanticizing your marriage a little bit because that's an easy thing to do in this state. Yeah, yeah. And then seeing him every day has to be hard. And would you think he's the kind of person that you could say that to him and he would understand that idea? I think, yes, he would. But at the same time, I think this is hard for both of us just because we've been together for so long. I mean, we were in high school together, haven't really been with anybody else. And so like, we don't know how to not be with each other. You've grown up together. Yeah. There's a lot of comfort there because that's what you know. So it's almost like in your life, it's akin to moving to a different city or something. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, would you say that you've been pretty codependent. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's hard to think about right now because you're so deep in it. But in some ways, you know, this could be a really liberating experience for you, Sandra, you know, to be able to kind of figure out how you can live alone Mm -hmm. or do things on your own. And what I will say is that, like, if you can get to that place, then it'll be harder to find yourself back in this place Mm -hmm. again. Because the relationships that you will be in will be relationships that you both want to be in. And if one person feels like they don't want to be in it, you'll be okay with yourself. You won't feel like you need this person for your own survival, you know? And it's hard to think about right now, but if you can just kind of envision, like, wouldn't you want to be in a place where you can do it on your own, you can be independent? Mm -hmm. Like, don't you think that could be a liberating feeling? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Are they planning on moving in together? Are they planning on being together? He does not like to talk about any of that with me, so he doesn't tell me anything. All right. When I inquired whether they had spent a weekend with each other, because I'm 99% sure that they did, you know, he just answered with, I don't want to talk about who I do or do not hang out with. But at the same time, like, he's at my house all the time. I don't even have the option of hanging out with anybody. I think it's a little bit rude of him, but I also think it's kind of good for you mm-hmm. in the sense that you don't need visuals. Right. And not to dwell on him too much. I do think because you guys have been together for so long that there is a likelihood in a couple of years after they've tried to work it out. And if this is a person that maybe has qualities that he's just not aware of yet, he's not used to. I mean, you guys have raised each other. Mm -hmm. He may return to you and want to be back together with you. Or try. (laughs) But I don't think you should hope for this because I, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't promise that it would happen. But what I think you should be aware of is how you will feel because I think that Lisa's really on to something. This will have shifted your relationship no matter what. Even if you guys get back together next week. This will have shifted something in you. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, it's a scar. And Lisa and I were talking about heartbreak. I do think that heartbreak makes one a better person. (laughs) But it is a scar. And it will be there with you for a minute, for sure. And I think that this will be painful for a bit. And I think you're completely within your rights to rationally explain to him in an unemotional way, if you can, Mm -hmm. that it's really hard for you to see him every day. And you need to learn how 
to move on without him. And I really hope that he respects that. Maybe I would tell your kids as well that it's just hard right now and you need that space. Because it tugs at your heart every time. Absolutely. Yeah, and Sandra, you know, if you ever do get back together with him one day, it won't be because you need him. Yeah. It'll be because you both want to be together. But if you don't get back together, at least you will be strong enough, Mm -hmm. right, to have been able to do things on your own and live independently. And I think that'll feel really good. It'll be hard, but you're so young. And the reality is people do change. And that's just the cycle of life, right? And and people fall in in love, they fall out of love, you know? And as sad as it is because you two have been each other's partners for so long, maybe this could be an opportunity to kind of discover new aspects of yourself. You guys were so young. Yeah. And maybe you've been repressing things that you have wanted to do or things that you've been interested in. Like, now's the time to go do it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I agree with Lisa. It will be hard to not think about him, but try to force those thoughts out of your head and replace them with little moments of simple appreciation. I know it's kind of a cliche, but you can start small and eventually kind of reprogram yourself until it becomes habit. You know, Sandra, have you ever traveled much by yourself with girlfriends? Or oh, I love this goal, Lisa. <laughs> well, in some ways as hard as it is, in some ways, this could be like this whole world opening up to you and allowing you to experience things that you would have never experienced because you've been in a relationship. And like, go have those experiences. You know, your kids are old enough that you don't have to be on them all the time, but just like experience the world, experience your town, get out there and just like see what the world has to offer you. There's so many amazing things to experience that like it could even be a blessing in disguise for you because you will become liberated from where you've been for so long yeah and you're young and beautiful and you know able not with the intention of meeting anyone but just like experiencing what life has to offer your decisions are now just yours that's a hard one to come to terms with (laughs) totally it's scary change is scary yeah but it can also be exhilarating. Yeah. Is there anything that you've ever just like fantasized about doing? I don't know, like bungee jumping or (laughs) just like going to Paris? Traveling for sure, like just going to another country or just even to another state. Yeah. It's the best. It really is. And now you can do it. (laughs) And I'll be honest with you, like I don't really like to travel with my husband much. I prefer to travel with my girlfriends. So like if you have some close friends or... You know, maybe your 12-year-old son, like, just, you know, do those things that you've always wanted to do, but you've somehow felt inhibited or just that, like, maybe your husband wasn't interested, but you've always wanted to do it. Do it. Sandra, is he controlling or critical of your parenting? No, not at all. Okay, that's good. No. So if you were like, hey, we're going to go on a road trip this weekend, he'd be like, bye. Yeah. Have a good time. Yeah. I usually give him warning whenever I'm going to, like, go to a girlfriend's house or do something. Like I went out last night with a couple of my girlfriends and we, you know, went to a wine bar. Yeah, oh my God, we had such a good time. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like your husband is not a bad guy, but again, like people change in life, Yeah, you know, and I think he's probably trying to be protective of you to not want to share details yeah. and trying to keep your life as normal for you. But I do think that 
that constant reminder, it's almost like a tease mm-hmm. because he's coming home so much. And I, I do think that as, at a certain point, in order for you to move on, I think that you really might consider just saying like, I need to just cut you off completely. If you need to see our kids, they can go to your house or you can take them elsewhere because I'm going out. <laughs> Resist the curiosity temptation if you can. Like, don't look at social media in terms of him. Like, don't ask your friends. And if your friends start to volunteer information, just try to suppress that element in yourself that we all have. You're at a place now where this has already happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's only just making me hurt worse. Exactly. And so if you can really be disciplined in that arena, I think that will be beneficial. Now that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And have that conversation with him. Mm-hmm. I think. And Sandra, just let the world open up to you. It's true. It's like my heart is aching for you in this moment, but I really believe in like three or four months, you'll be having a good time. I'm kind of excited for you. <laughs> I honestly, <laughs> because it's like, if that's something that you've always wanted to do and never really gotten a chance to do it, I'm telling you, Sandra, like travel is the most eye opening, most amazing, like the things that you experience, the emotions that you feel. Like, now is the time. I'm excited for you, Sandra. Thank you. You're making me excited. (laughs) Good. Good. Again, just answer the call of the universe and be like, I'm ready. Like, let's go explore and experience things that I, in my wildest dreams, I've never been able to experience. And just like, let your mind be blown. (laughs) Because it is mind blowing. Once you start seeing the world, it's just like, God, I've missed out on this for so long. Yeah. I agree. I love this. And it'll be interesting to see how your kids will kind of grow with you and observe you, you know? Yeah, that's one of the things that, you know, I'd like to move on just because I feel like currently I'm just not setting the example that I want to set, especially for like my daughter of like pining over somebody who doesn't want you. Like, I don't want her to ever have to do that. Like, I'd rather her be like independent and strong and you like, okay, you know what? That's fine. You outgrew me. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. Take her on a trip, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, be that independent spirit that wants to just like be free, you know? Yeah. You will plant the seeds of exploration in her. Yeah. Sandra, thank you so much for sharing and telling us your story. Thank you. I appreciate you guys listening and giving me some advice, subjective and also advice for me, not just for like my relationship. So thank you. Yeah. Girl, I'm telling you, I'm excited for you. Me too. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Lisa, you're just amazing. Okay, speaking of travel, can you give me your top three countries or experiences? I am so hungry for it. Oh, my God. I think the reason why I'm a decent journalist is because every story and every place becomes the most important to me. But I have a thing for the Himalayas, like Nepal is magical. What is magical about it? Just the mountains, the indigenous culture. You know, it's mostly Buddhist. And so there's just this like, it's teeming with people, but there's this calmness in the midst of all of that that is really incredible. So, yeah. I heard that airport, though, at Kathmandu is incredibly terrifying. Is that right? Um, It's very small. I was thinking about asking you, like, your most terrifying plane experience. Oh, God. Yeah. Uzbek Air once when they were fueling it. It looked like they were fueling it with a tin can. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. Oh boy. But some of the treks that I did in Nepal, like I went on a 13-day trek. And when you're on a trek, you get to interact with people along the way too. So and you're on foot. So you're not like in a vehicle looking out at things. You're actually immersed. I love Bolivia for similar reasons. It's also very mountainous. La Paz, Bolivia, the capital. I love Santorini, the Greek island of Santorini. Again, I, I love these like mountainous parts of the world. So I would say those are my top three. My bucket list, though, is Mongolia, Morocco, and Iceland. I have not been to those three countries. Have you? No. I'm like a little typical, I guess, for an American traveler, mostly Western Europe. Yeah. Well, I think that you, me, and Sandra should go out and just like... <laughs> I so want her to just like embrace what the world has to offer her. I mean, I really am excited for I know, her. I could feel it. And I love that you infused her with it because by the end of the call, she was actually smiling a little bit. Yeah, you were contagious for her. And I love it that you were saying this is a good time. I think we were a good yin and yang, yeah. you know, because I think we have to validate her feelings, which you did so beautifully, but also just look at the possibilities. You know, I mean, my God, I can't imagine being together with someone that long and not having experienced travel even, you know, and not been able to like, just see what what's out there. I love that advice so much. Lisa, will you tell us about your new project? Yes. So I have a new series for HBO Max. It's called Takeout. And it's kind of an exploration of these hidden, buried Asian American histories through the lens of food, because who doesn't love Asian food? And we've shot most of the episodes already, and they're just these special, beautiful little experiences. And, you know, obviously we introduce you to some like incredibly beautiful and delicious food as well. But, you know, stories that, again, didn't make it into our history books, but that are moving and beautiful and like a testament to the human spirit. Oh, Lisa, I can't wait. And thank you for doing important work. Thanks. This has been so much fun. Hopefully one day our paths will cross in person. I would love that. Thank you again, Lisa. Thanks, Anna. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye. 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 